turn to your Bibles in Acts chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 36 uh, through 41 this Lord's Day. And uh, if you begin to doze off during my sermon, I'm going to get robbed back on those drums. Wake y'all up this morning. uh, I am thankful that that y'all are here today, that we can look at this text together. I want to start, though, by just saying a thank you to the church. Um, It has been a privilege for me to get to serve here for close to five years now. And one of the things that is the greatest privilege for me is to be a part of a church uh, that allows me and allows my family the opportunity to go to the world with the gospel. And so uh, this week, as I've already mentioned, uh, we've got our Poland mission trip and half my family's there, uh, Parker and Vivian and and Sandy. Uh, This is Parker's fifth summer in Poland. This is Sandy's fourth. Uh, I've had the chance to go on different trips six different times since I've been here. And and that would not happen uh, if you were not a generous and a gracious people uh, who not only give so that that can happen, but allow me and, and others the time to go. And so thank you for that. Uh, thank you, families, who entrusted uh, us with your teenagers uh, this last week and, and sent them over there uh, and almost had a broken jawbone in the process and, and all kinds of fun stuff. We, almost, we had a broken rib back there. Uh, it's really not that violent of a trip, I promise. Uh, but this was the year of the x-ray, uh, but everything has, has worked out. And uh, we, are, we are thankful. You can pray for no further x-rays, though, uh, this coming week with the other team that's there. Um, but I say all that, not to scare you about x-rays and mission trips, uh, but to thank you and to encourage you to, to pray about whatever part God might have you play in going to the world. It may be that he has called you to, to pray diligently for those to go. It may be that he's given you resources so that you can give and enable others to go. It may be that, that even as we're talking about Poland and, and Southeast Asia and other places, that God's putting a, just a burden there in your heart, just a whisper in your ear, that you need to consider going uh, in the coming years as well. And we would welcome you to do that. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you for being that kind of church. Well, today we're going to read uh, Acts 15, uh, verses 36 through 41. Uh, this is going to conclude our study in Acts 15, if you've been with us. Uh, You know, basically, the landscape of what's happening here. Uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, have been very much part of the first church, which was extremely missions-minded. It sent them out throughout the Roman Empire, and as they've gone to share the gospel, uh, that has not gone without uh, problems, without divisions. And one of the divisions that's come up in Acts 15 is among believers. Uh, You've got some Christians who, uh, the Scripture refers to them as those from the Pharisee party. Uh, These Pharisees, as you'll remember when Jesus... Uh, spoke with them in the Gospels, uh, very much believed in the law, and you achieved righteousness through the law. And so even after they've come to faith in Christ, they're still struggling with their understanding of the role that the law plays in that. And so they essentially have gone to these Gentile Christians, uh, those who didn't grow up with any kind of adherence to the law, and told them, well, in order to become a Christian, you need to start obeying all these things in the Jewish law. Essentially, if you want to be a Christian, you need to become a Jew first. And that's created some, some division in the church and some debate. And if you've been with us in our study, you know that that's what's led to the first council in the church, the Jerusalem council. And that debate was settled there. Uh, they said very clearly, no, we become Christians by grace, through faith, not by works. But they communicate back to the Gentile Christians by telling them, okay, you are indeed brothers, but here are some things you need to do. Not in order to be saved, but because you are saved. And so sometimes we get confused with that in the Christian life. 
Uh, some of us fall on the side of thinking that we need to do certain things to be saved, and the Scripture says, no, we need to repent and have faith. We, we can't achieve salvation through works of our own. But on the other side, then, there's others who say, yeah, salvation's by grace and through faith, and, and works have nothing to do with it. And yet the Scripture says, for those of us who are indeed saved, that should be evidenced by our works. There should be fruit in our life. And that's the balance we see here in the book of Acts and in chapter 15. Well, that issue has been dealt with, but there will be further issues that come up. One comes up today as a possible division between Paul and Barnabas, a disagreement they have. And, and as we look to this, we're reminded uh, that we in the church, we as Christians, we don't always agree on everything. Now, I'm sure we do here at Bloomfield, but there's other churches out there where everybody doesn't always agree. And so we're going to learn something to help them, but, but probably help ourselves too this morning as we learn how to deal with disagreements. So, we will learn this from God's holy and errant word and, and believing it is such and honoring it and revering it. If you're able, if you would stand as I read this passage for us. Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Father God, we pray that, that you would strengthen our church today through your holy word, through the movement of your Holy Spirit. For those who need to repent today, I pray they would repent. For those who need to have a stronger faith today, I pray their faith would rest fully in Christ Jesus and that they would see it is not the amount of our faith that matters, it's the one in whom we have faith in. So, Father, if our faith rests in Christ today, it is strong. And if it doesn't, it is weak. So call us, Lord, to be faithful to the gospel, to rest our faith in Christ. And, Lord, to repent of sin as you show it to us through your word. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. As I've already mentioned, I'm very thankful for being a part of a church that would send me, send my family to the mission field. Uh, but I do miss my family. Uh, it's only been a few days. It's been longer with Parker. He's been gone since the first part of the month. And so uh, now with Sandy and Vivian gone, it's just me and Caroline and Anna Claire. And, and they say that uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, absence for me also makes me realize how difficult it is uh, to be a parent on your own and how much my wife does and how much I need her. Uh, Sandy has what some of you in this room may have. She, she has a, a giftedness where we can be at pretty much any place in the house, and uh, she's in tune with what's going on in every room. And so, uh, you know, we're in mid-conversation, and she'll just say, wait a second, and she'll yell something three rooms away to the girls because they're getting in trouble doing something. She just is some type of sonar thing there that, that moms have. She knows it. Uh, I'm a little different. She knows what's going on three rooms away. Sometimes I don't know what's going on in the room I'm in. 
And so uh, that's become evident in the last few days. And so uh, Sandy and I were texting back and forth, and she said, how are the girls? And I said, well, they're fine. Well, what are they doing? I'm not real sure. Where are they at? They're not in this room. Are they getting along? Maybe. Uh, you know, she, she just knows. And not only does she know, she is able to intervene in such a way that she's just able to deal with disagreements and stuff. Um, I, maybe it's just my family, but, but if our kids are in a room together, they're going to disagree about something at some point. I've also found this and been reminded of this in the last few days. Even things like, uh, what do you want for dinner uh, can become points of great conflict. And so uh, I'm just throwing food on the table now and saying if you're hungry, you can, you can eat that. We're not going to disagree on it. But, uh, but she is able to just step in when they disagree, deal with those things. I'm kind of more of the, the triage person. You know, if there's a limb missing, I can step in and deal with it. Uh, but I don't always know what little details are going on. But, but I do know uh, that our children at times disagree. And I think if you're a parent or a grandparent, you're fully aware uh, that those precious little kids that you love so much... Uh, they don't always get along so well. And as you observe, as I have, their disagreements, you may think to yourselves, well, well, that's just so childish. <laughs> Why would you argue over that? Why can't you just get along? But then you step back and look at some of us as adults today, <laughs> and you realize that, that some of us, we don't really outgrow or mature beyond those kids and how we handle disagreements. And that's particularly true, sadly, so often in our churches today. Uh, Many times when you ask people outside of the church about their perspective of what goes inside of the church, the first thing they will point to is our disagreements. Uh, They'll talk about churches that split over the color of the carpet. They'll talk about churches where nobody could get along with one another. And yet, we gather this morning and we sing songs like, They'll know us by our love. Oh, why the discrepancy there? Well, I think it's because oftentimes, like many other things in the faith, we don't stop and consider uh, how should we handle disagreements as Christians. And in fact, I think for some of us, we may have been brought up to think, well, if we're Christians, then we should never disagree. <laughs> we should always get along. We should always agree with each other. And yet we all know that, that that's not the case, that even as believers, even as those who trust in the gospel, We disagree on things. Uh, Those of you who are married, uh, you you may love that other person. You've committed your life to that other person. That doesn't mean you agree with everything, that you get along on every point. In fact, I often tell uh, couples when I do premarital counseling, uh, I talk to them about conflict resolution and how to deal with conflict. And I'll share with them what's been told to me many times. You know, if if the two of you always agree on everything, one of you is not necessary. (laughs) God has put you together for a reason. And he can use those disagreements to to shape us and to grow us in a marriage, in relationships, and especially in the church. And so today I want to talk about not so much how do we avoid ever disagreeing on anything, but I want to talk about the reality of when we do disagree on things in the church, how do we deal with those things? Because what we find from this text is what we find in our church. It's the first point I put there in your notes. Disagreements are a part of church life. Disagreements are a real part of church life. And we see an example of them here in the early church. It's Paul and Barnabas here. 
They've gone on their first missionary journey. They've gone and shared the gospel in all these different cities. They've had great persecution, great trial. Uh, they've come back now. They're, they're encouraging the brothers and sisters. And essentially now we're going to see the second missionary journey come about. And Paul has gone to Barnabas and said, Listen, as we go out, let's go encourage uh, those folks that we've shared the gospel with. And Barnabas says, Great, uh, I, I want to bring John Mark with us. Now, now John Mark... It goes by either name. We'll just call him John Mark today. Uh, he's one that's appeared here in Acts uh, a couple of times. Uh, if you remember back in Acts chapter 12, if you remember, uh, Peter was imprisoned and the church had gathered at a home of someone named Mary. Well, Mary was John Mark's mother. And her home was big enough for the church to gather. That means they were probably a family of means. And they were a family there connected, involved in the early church. And so we see a chapter after that, Acts 13, John Mark actually travels with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Luke mentions that he assisted them as they were preaching in the synagogues. And so we have a little bit of an idea of who John Mark is. We know he's from a, a family of faith. We know he was one of faith himself. We know he helped them preach in the synagogues. And then we find out some other details outside of the book of Acts. Luke doesn't remind us here, but we do learn, for example, in Colossians 4, uh, that John Mark was actually the cousin of Barnabas. And so you start to kind of get a picture here. Uh, Paul wants to go on this missionary journey. Uh, Barnabas wants to bring along his cousin. Some of you can identify. I mean, I've learned three-fourths of your cousins with one another here at Bloomfield. Everybody's related to somebody. And you've got to be careful what you say. I just assume everybody here is related. And you've got similar things there in the early church. These families are all coming together. It was very natural as one became a believer for another. And so you've got a lot of people connected in the early church. And so here, uh, Barnabas says, I want to bring my cousin John Mark. But Paul's got a problem with that. And they have this disagreement. Why? Well, because we learned in Acts chapter 13 that while Paul and Barnabas were ministering, that John Mark had left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all Luke tells us in Acts 13. That's really not enough for us to understand what's going on. I mean, people leave and go to another place all the time. And so we could read that as uh, uh, John had something to do back in Jerusalem, so he went to Jerusalem. Or, or you know, John had to get back for work commitments, he went back for work. We, we can read a lot of things into that. But here Luke helps us to better understand exactly what's going on there. Uh, because the language that Paul uses, he says that, that he doesn't think they can, they can trust or that it'd be best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. Now again, that word withdrawn, it may not seem that severe, but when you look at the, the Greek word there, you, you get a little bit more insight. Uh, the root word there for withdrawn is the same word that we get the word apostasy from or apostate. And an apostate is one who leaves the faith. And so you get a little bit better picture of what happened here. While Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journey, John Mark is with them, helping them proclaim the gospel. Things start to get more intense. There's threats being uttered. People are saying they're going to stone these guys to death. And at some point, John Mark doesn't just leave Paul and Barnabas. The indication is he, he leaves the ministry. He possibly even leaves the faith for some amount of time. Now, he's going to return to it. But that's what's in Paul's mind. And you remember what Paul experienced between Acts 13 and Acts 15. He's dragged out of city and he's stoned and beaten to the point where he thinks he's going to die. And those around him think he's going to die. And so think about that. You're on this missionary journey 
somebody's with you, things start to get more intense, and they just completely abandon you. And then later on, their cousin says to you, well, let, let's, let's bring that one that abandoned us with us. <laughs> well, you can understand why Paul wasn't so excited about that. He had learned from experience what we read in Proverbs twenty-five nineteen, Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in a time of trouble. Who wants to take a bad tooth with them? Who wants to take an unsteady foot with them? Solomon there in his wisdom is saying, listen, that's, that's what it's like to have one who you cannot depend on. And so now this becomes a point of great disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Because it would seem that Barnabas isn't backing down, and Paul's not backing down. In fact, the Scripture says there arose a sharp disagreement between the two. And so the picture here is not that they look at each other and say, well, you know, let's just agree to disagree. Now, the picture here is that they are intensely at odds with one another, do not agree with one another, emotions are high. They strongly disagree as to what should happen. And it's important to note who it is who's disagreeing here. This, this is Paul and Barnabas. That these are men who had ministered together, who had traveled together, who had faced great trial and tribulation together. These are men, if you'll remember, who not long before this, the council sends this letter to the Gentile Christians and says, we're sending this by the hands of Paul and Barnabas, who, by the way, have been willing to die for the sake of the gospel together. And now they are in sharp disagreement. And that's a good thing for us today. Because in our churches today, we need to understand that Christians can disagree with one another. That Christians may not always see eye to eye with one another. And that just because there's a disagreement in our church, that doesn't mean that the Spirit has left us or the enemy has entered us. There are times when we will disagree. Now, now note this, that, 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 that doesn't mean that there aren't core issues that we must agree on. I mean, this is why there was a Jerusalem council. They needed to come to agreement on this issue. Why? It was a gospel issue. Uh, that's why we have the Apostles' Creed, and that's why we have different uh, catechisms, and that's why we have a statement of faith as a church. And that's why, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we're going back through our bylaws and our statement of faith and those things right now, and we're putting together a statement on marriage and gender and sexuality because there are strong clear things in the Scripture that we must agree on in order to be a body of Christ. So it's not sufficient for us just to say, well, we're never going to agree on everything, so why agree on anything? Can't we all just get along? There are core issues we've got to agree on. But in the midst of that, there are a lot of secondary things that we don't have to agree on in order to have fellowship with one another. If I went around this room today, I'd find all kinds of disagreements. Not, not everyone in here agrees on the best worship style or what worship style we should have in the church. Some of you think it should be one way. Some of you think it should be another way. We can fellowship together still. Not everybody here agrees on what the preacher should wear on Sunday morning. Some of you think that the preacher should wear a tie every week. Some preachers think you should wear a tie every week. See how it feels. We don't agree politically on everything. We don't agree on lots of things. For whatever reason, 
in this body of Christ, we don't agree on the best kind of barbecue to eat. Some of us know that North Carolina vinegar-based barbecue is the best. Some of us don't think that and are wrong. We can disagree on that. You can be a fan of this team and that team. You can have strong convictions about different issues. Some of those we must agree on. Secondary things we don't have to. But here's the point. When we disagree, we need to learn how to deal with those disagreements better. Because oftentimes when we disagree on things in the church, things get ugly. And we start to treat secondary things like they're primary things. And then we start to have churches split and brothers and sisters in Christ be angry and bear grudges against one another. And we have this terrible witness in our communities because we can't just disagree like the Scripture says we should disagree. And I think what we see here in this passage is an example of what it looks like to biblically disagree on something. Which takes us to our second point. The church should always deal then with disagreements biblically and graciously. And so hear me what I'm saying. I think you can be a biblical church and have disagreements as long as you deal with those disagreements biblically. (laughs) But what happens is when we have disagreements and we start to deal with them unbiblically, ungraciously, well, that's when they become an issue. And I think this one here was dealt with the right way. We, we don't get every detail about it in the text, but there are some indicators here that I want to point us to that I think help us to see Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement, strong disagreement, but they dealt with it the right way and in a way that we need to deal with things as well. Notice what happens here in verse 39 and 40. They have this disagreement, and so at the end of it, they separated from one another. That's how they dealt with the disagreement, by separating. You may read that and think, well, it doesn't look like much reconciliation took place there. Uh, They just avoided it. But I don't think that's the case. I think they dealt with it, and in a biblical way, they separated. And here's why I think that. For one, they both stayed committed to the mission. Now think about that for a second. Paul and Barnabas had a mission to take the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And now they're going out on their second journey and they're disagreeing about who should go. Now you put that in the context of our local churches today. And you might think of something, for example, like a church deciding how it's going to spend money they have in the bank. And so this situation has played itself out in many churches. Perhaps it's played itself out in this church before I got here where a church has excess money in the bank, and you've got a group in the church who says, well, you know what we're going to do? Uh, we need to use that money uh, towards this ministry. God has put that there, that resource there, so that we as a church could go over here and do this ministry this way. And so it comes time for the business meeting, and, and you think everything's going to go along fine, but then there's another group there that says, oh no, no, God's put it on my heart, we need to use that money for this ministry over here. And so suddenly you have this disagreement. Here's the resources, here's the two options, and they can't agree on which one they're going to do. Sadly, here's what often happens. They do neither. (laughs) They get so upset and so disgruntled, no ministry gets done, the money stays in the bank, people leave the church. That's not the biblical way to deal with disagreement. Notice here, though, I believe this is dealt with biblically because they both stay committed to the mission. At the end of the disagreement, they separate. But Paul doesn't say, well, fine, Barnabas, if you're going to take John Mark, I'm not going. And Barnabas doesn't say to Paul, well, fine, you don't want to take my cousin, he's not good enough for your ministry, we're staying home. 
No, they both are still committed to the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that should drive everything we do, even how we deal with our disagreements. And so they both stay firmly committed to this mission. A second indicator that they dealt with this the right way is they did not bear a grudge against one another. Unfortunately, that's not the case in so many of our churches today. That There are a lot of deeply embedded grudges that go back to business meetings and votes and decisions that may have taken place 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20, 30, 40 years ago. And as a result of what happened, what was said, who said what, who did what, who agreed with what, who didn't agree with what, there are deeply embedded grudges. That happens when we don't deal with disagreements in a biblical and gracious way. And so what indicates to us that Paul and Barnabas dealt with this one the right way? They don't bear grudges. For example, Philemon 24. Paul refers to John Mark. Now remember, John Mark's the one who abandoned him, the one who he didn't trust to go on this mission. He refers to him in Philemon 24 as his fellow worker in the gospel ministry. And he gives a great greeting on his behalf. We see a similar statement in Colossians 4.10 where he gives a, a greeting on behalf of John Mark. And there tells the Colossians, listen, if John Mark comes to you, you welcome him and you greet him and you embrace him because he's a brother in the faith. And then later, 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy is the letter that, that Paul writes as he is awaiting his execution. He has finished the race. His time is close to an end and yet in the last days of his life, he is still committed to sharing the gospel with the other prisoners and the guards there. And in the end of that letter, he writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to go get Mark. Go get John Mark and bring him here. I need him to be a part of this ministry. And so those verses give us a picture that, that, that Paul did not bear a grudge against John Mark, and John Mark didn't bear a grudge against him. In fact, I think what we see happening here is God use this disagreement between these men to grow them both in the faith. And I think that's exactly what he desires to use disagreements for in our lives as well. And so right now you may find yourself at odds with another believer. You may have a disagreement there. You may be bitter or upset over it. I would challenge you today to consider, has God put that disagreement in your life as a means through which he wants to grow you and grow that person in the faith? Luke doesn't give us a 10-step a guide to dealing with conflict or disagreements in this passage. But, but I think as you read it in the context of the New Testament, you, you do get some steps that we can take. And so again, I'm sure we never have disagreement in our church, but for those other churches out there, here's some things for us to consider when disagreements come up. Step one, go to the person you have a disagreement with and talk to them about it. Now that may seem like the obvious, but so often we need to state the obvious because here's what happens. We're at odds with someone, we disagree with someone, pastor says something we don't like, someone else in the church says something we don't like, and rather than going and talking to that person, that pastor about it, what do we do? We go talk to everyone else in the known universe. <laughs> we get on the phone or or now social media, we just put it out there on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else you want to put it out there on. 
Years ago, we used to put it out on the, the prayer line. <laughs> you really need to pray for so-and-so, and let me tell you why. See, so often when we disagree with someone, rather than simply going to them to settle the disagreement, we go and we stir things up by talking to everyone else. We try to rally our support and get people on our side, and we're going to go in there and we're going to do battle. That is not a biblical way to deal with disagreement. Consider what Jesus said about when we have disagreements with other people or they have one with us. Matthew chapter 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now again, think of that in our context today. What what that is saying to us is Jesus is saying, this is so important that as the plate is coming around, before you put your gift in it, if you remember, again, not, not that you have something against someone else, but someone else has something against you, then I want you to drop everything and go deal with it. That might have been what happened earlier when they dropped the plate back there. Somebody remembered that conflict. But, but that's, the, that's the context here. Jesus is saying this is so important. So we can sing, they will know we are brothers by our love, by our love, all day long. But what do they know us by? So often our disagreements, our quarrels, our conflicts, because we don't deal with them this way. Imagine how radically this would affect churches today if we took jesus words seriously when he says to us if you are aware that someone has an issue with you then you go deal with it before you make your offering what's jesus saying there he's saying before you do business with me you better clear that business up with them but we tend to think about it the opposite way don't we well i'm right with god and that's all i need Jesus says here, if you're not right with man, that interferes with you being right with him. Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus is saying, listen, now beyond disagreement, if there's this sin and they've sinned against you, don't go tell the world. (laughs) Go tell them and then give them a chance to repent. And if they've repented... That's reconciliation. Friends, that's what we should be doing when disagreements come about. We need to go to that person and just say to them, here's the issue. And if there's a strong biblical issue there, then to say, listen, here's what the Scripture says to me and where I'm at on this, and and I think there's an issue here between us because of this, and seek to settle that. And, And for some of you, that's how you have dealt with disagreement. And you've seen play out exactly what Jesus said. You have gained back your brother or your sister. But for others of us, we haven't done that. And we've gone and we've talked to others about it. And perhaps many others in trying to build up our side. There's a warning for us when we do that. See, the Scripture refers to us in that case as being a gossip and a slanderer. A gossip is when you are talking to everyone else about that, but not to that person. A slanderer, then, is when you are tarnishing that person's name, their reputation, in order to defend your own. 
And those are two words that the Scripture does not treat lightly. In fact, some of you have spent some time reading Romans chapter 1 in light of Supreme Court decision, issues of marriage in our nation. And, and you see in Romans chapter 1 how strongly God speaks to these issues. But do you realize that in Romans chapter 1, in that same context, that lumped in with all these other immoral activities are gossips and slanderers? In the same verse, God condemns the murderer along with the gossip. Think about that. The, 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 the power of the sin that you commit when you choose to gossip and slander, God says is equivalent to the power of the sin that's committed when someone picks up an object and bluntly beats someone to death. The scripture is very clear about these issues. And so we must go to a person and say, I have a disagreement with you. You have a disagreement with me. Let's talk this out. Let's deal with this. Let's reconcile. But when we do that, that doesn't always guarantee reconciliation. And so then step two beyond that, if there's still disagreement, well then we need to seek godly counsel. Obviously, the primary source of that would be God's Word. God's Word is clear on so many things. What does His Word say about this? And so it's not sufficient when there's a disagreement for you to look at a person and say, well, that's your opinion, if it's actually God's opinion. God's opinion stands regardless of man's. And if God's Word is clear on an issue and you're choosing to disobey that, your issue is not with a man or a woman who believes in God's Word, your issue is with God Himself. And so when we have these disagreements, go to the Word. Allow God's Word to convict us and change us and change that other person. And pray about it. We always say we're going to pray, but let me ask you this morning, how much do you pray about the things you say you're going to pray about? I mean, what if God's judgment on us rested on one thing? on whether or not we actually prayed for people every time we said we were going to pray for them. That's enough to condemn us right there, isn't it? (laughs) And so the Scripture says, no, you need to pray about these things. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So, So seek God's Word, pray, and then with that, seek godly counsel. So many disagreements could be dealt with If us and the other person would just sit down when we don't see eye to eye and bring a third person in, bring someone else, someone who's mature in their faith, someone who can help us through these things. Another great proverb to consider is Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but wise is a man who listens to advice. But but know this, there will be times when you do it the right way, When you disagree, you come together, you read God's Word, you pray about it, and at the end of it, you still disagree. I mean, that's where Paul and Barnabas were, isn't it? That they just disagreed. And so there may come a time then when God calls us to separate for that that reason. And in this context, what that looks like for Paul and Barnabas is for a time at least where fellowship is broken, where, where one has to leave. And in our context today, I think we may see that play out in churches There may come a time when you're in a church and there's a disagreement there and you go through this process and at the end of it, graciously, biblically, you just have to to leave. I've sat down with members of our church at times who 
who at the end of the day did not agree with me, with the leadership of our church, the direction of our church. And I've said to them in a loving, gracious way, you need to be in a church where you can follow the shepherd. And if I'm in sin, and if I preach to you contrary to God's word, your responsibility is to call me out on that. So I don't want to make this sound like I'm always wrong, these people who leave are, are, are always, that I'm always right and they're always wrong. But, but there are times when, as a church member, you won't agree with the leadership, with the shepherding. Again, maybe it's a secondary issue, not a primary issue. It's not where you can just say, well, this verse says this, and they say, well, I'm not going to do what the Bible says. That usually isn't how it plays out. It's usually these secondary things. There's a gracious, biblical way to say, I think it's better then that I go over here and you go over here. And God can use that for His glory. Which brings us to the last point here, point three. God uses disagreements to mature our faith and to grow His church. God can and will use disagreements to mature us and to grow the church. Now notice what He does here with Paul and Barnabas. Verse 41 tells us that the end result here is the churches are strengthened. Now consider this. Twice as many churches are strengthened because of this disagreement. Paul and Barnabas did not agree... But they handled it well, and they handled it biblically, and so they both took with them someone else. And now, twice as many people are going to be reached and be impacted with the gospel than that one journey they were going to go on. There may come a time, and there have been times, when churches divide for right reasons, and more people are reached with the gospel as a result. I realize that's not always the case, but that can happen. God may send you out from a church over a disagreement in order to use you somewhere else to be a blessing there and Him receive glory. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Us seeking to glorify God. And in that process, He grows us up. Because when we don't agree with someone, we have to stop and consider whether this is an issue in our heart that needs to be dealt with. I think the context here would indicate that John Mark, he grew and matured through this process. We have one who at some point was apostate, who walked away from the mission, from the ministry, possibly from the faith, who God grows and matures, and then uses to the point that he is the one God uses to write one of the four Gospels we have today. The Gospel of Mark. It's written by this John Mark. And so when we disagree, realize God might be using that to grow you and grow that other person in their faith. He might be using it, for example, to to help you learn about what it means to deny yourself. Luke 9.23, Jesus says, if you want to be his disciple, his follower, you need to learn to deny yourself. Let me ask you a question. When you disagree with someone, do you normally come out on top in that? Do you normally get proven right? If that's the case, that might not be a sign of maturity for you. Because one of the marks of Christian maturity is learning to deny ourselves and to care more about others' interests than about their own. Again, I'm not talking about primary gospel issues. I'm talking about secondary issues that at times we need to just step aside and say, this other person's way, this other person's interests, I can consider that better than mine, more important than mine. That's actually a biblical thing. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look out not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then you know what Paul talks about in Philippians 2? He says, you want to see a supreme example of this? 
you look to the cross. See, friends, at the end of the day, that's why we deal with disagreements biblically. Because how we handle disagreements says something about what we understand about the gospel. Because in the gospel, this is the picture you have. That there's a disagreement. God's right, and we're wrong. He is fully right, and we are fully wrong. And God does not say to us, well, if you can just come around or figure it out or do a little better, we can reconcile. God says, you and I will always be wrong and always be in sin. And so what does He do? Jesus goes to the cross to pay our penalty we owe, and then He gifts us. He gives us His righteousness. And so suddenly we're made right, not because of anything we did, but because of what Christ did for us. Here's the point. God has reconciled us to Him. Who are we to withhold reconciliation from another? And if you're withholding reconciliation from a brother or sister in Christ because of a disagreement, then you may not understand the Gospel quite as well as you thought you did. Because the Gospel compels us to reconciliation. The Gospel compels us to deal with disagreement biblically. And if we as a church, if we as churches did that, imagine the testimony in our communities. To no longer be the churches that are known for splitting over the color of a carpet, but to be known as those who had disagreements, but dealt with them biblically and lovingly and graciously. Imagine what it would be not just to sing, they will know we are Christians by our love, but to live out, they will know we are Christians by our love. Imagine what it would be to be out in the community and to say, hey, you mentioned you don't go to church anymore. I'd love to invite you to Bloomfield Baptist Church to hear them say, well, I don't know, more about, I don't know much about that church, but man, they sure love each other. Us who come from different sides of the political aisle, who can disagree on lots of things, to be bound together by the one thing that we do agree on, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, if this morning you are struggling with someone, conflict, disagreement, consider what is it God has allowed you to be a part of that for? Do you understand the gospel? Do you know what it means to be reconciled to Him? And if not, you need to get that straight first and respond to the gospel through repentance and faith because you can't fully love them and forgive them until you experience the love and forgiveness of the father and so if you would pray to that end with me father god i do pray that that they would know us by our love Lord, I know this is a church many that has had disagreements in the past. I'm sure we will have disagreements in the future. Father, I, I ask and pray in the power of your Spirit that we would not be a church that would disagree on core gospel biblical issues. That we would be in full agreement on those. But Lord, for those secondary things, styles, opinions, Lord, I pray as we disagree on those, because we will, that we would deal with that in biblical ways, in gracious ways. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who, who's just struggling with bitterness towards another. I pray for grudges that may be there or have been there for a long time. Lord, I pray that, 
that the gospel would overpower those things and that they would love because you've loved, they would forgive because you've forgiven. And Lord, anybody here today who's yet to respond to the gospel and they don't get this, Lord, would you work through your Holy Spirit in such a way that that the only thing they can do is cry out to Jesus in confession and repentance. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, if you would stand together as we offer an opportunity uh, to respond to God's word. It may be you need to just take a moment to pray, to, to repent. It may be God's calling you to join this church.